I speak to you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Now, Miriam, today was supposed to be the blessing of the backpacks. Did you bring your backpack? Did you bring your backpack? I've got something for you. Do you want to come get it now, or do you want to get it after? you want to come up now and get it? Come. You can do it later if you want. I just have a little thing to put in your backpack. See me after church, okay? And I'll give you one. Okay, there we go. Awesome. Blessing of the backpacks. Uh, confession. I happen to really uh, like revenge movies. There's something about someone getting what they deserve that seems to be deeply satisfying, at least from my position. I don't know if you're the one meeting out the revenge, if it is really as satisfying as it looks. One of the best revenge movies, of course, one of the most memorable, is The Princess Bride. Have you seen the movie The Princess Bride? And the famous line, my name is Inigo Montoya, you killed my father, prepare to die. You know, that's actually been the, the original actors, apart from Andre the Giant, uh, tonight are reading the script together on a Zoom call. So it's going to, just one of those iconic things. So um, last week, Father Bates talked about forgiveness and our, and what we owe God. We owe God everything. And it's interesting because today's parable is also about someone owing someone something. Let's look at it, turn to it in your bulletin if you would. And uh, we'll have a look at it. Peter comes to Jesus, uh, and the, the word order is interesting. How many sins do I have to put up with? How many times are people sinning against me? Do I have to forgive them? Uh, it says in the translation here, someone from my church. The Greek word is for my brother. So it could be a church brother, or it could be Andrew. Uh, if you have a younger brother or sister, you know that sometimes they test your patience. And so he comes and he says, how many times do I owe him forgiveness? Now, the rabbis uh, had, were very clear you had to forgive someone three times, but you weren't expected to forgive four times because that was God's job. Only God could forgive four times. So Peter doubles to three, adds one for good measure, and I'm sure he expects to be warmly commended for suggesting that he was willing to forgive somebody seven times. Imagine his shock when Jesus said, well, no, how about 77 times? One of the commentators said, Jesus replied, does away with all limits and calculations. You don't have to keep count. Oh, we want there to be limits. Then we could grab a sense of justification for withholding our forgiveness and mercy. We would have an excuse for passing judgment, for getting vengeance, and we could pass it off as justice. I want justice when someone wrongs me, but if I should happen to wrong someone else, I want mercy. I have a double standard. Well, the parable today teaches a couple of things. First of all, what we learn about God and justice and mercy in the Bible, and especially in this parable, is actually absolutely terrifying, and yet wonderfully overwhelming. First of all, it teaches us the lesson that runs right through the New Testament that a man must forgive in order to be forgiven. He who will not forgive others, be it friend or family or enemy, cannot hope or presume 
that God will forgive him. Kids know that. There's a story of a bunch of kids upstairs before bedtime arguing and fighting and yelling at each other, being rude. And then they finally get settled down and go to bed, and then there's a big thunderstorm outside. And then it gets quiet, and the father wonders what's going on, and he climbs up, and he goes into the bedroom, and there, all the beds are empty. And he hears something in the closet, and he goes into the closet, and the kids are all there. And he said, what are you doing? And he said, we're quickly forgiving each other. <laughs> they thought the thunder was God getting them. And do you ever realize, do you ever tremble a little when you pray the Lord's Prayer? Forgive us our sins as we forgive others. It doesn't say forgive us our sins so that we can forgive others. It says forgive us our sins in the same way that we are forgiving other people. I want God to forgive me way more than I forgive other people. It goes on in in Matthew to say, Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. And then in the next chapter in Matthew, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive you. And James makes it clear. For judgment will be without mercy to anyone who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So, it's a rather sobering thought that we must be forgiving if we expect God to forgive us. The second point of the parable, which is ludicrously illustrated, is that nothing that others can do to us can in any way compare with what we have done against God. Look at the extent of the debt. The first servant had a debt of 10,000 talents and the second servant of 100 denarii. So if you're not familiar with those uh, figures of speech or Amounts of uh, currency, let me explain. William Barclay points out that the first servant owed his master 10,000 talents. This was an incredible debt. It was more than the total budget of many Roman provinces. The total revenue of the province, which contained Judea and Samaria and Idumea, was 600 talents. The budget for the whole province for the whole year, 600 talents. And his debt was 10,000 talents. In comparison, the debt which a fellow servant owed to the first servant was a trifling thing, a hundred denarii. Using common coinage, you would carry it, you could carry it in your pocket. And a, a commentator named Kennedy drew this vivid picture to contrast the debts. He said, suppose they were all the same coin. The hundred denarii, the debt could fit in your pocket. If we used the same coin... The 10,000 talents would require an army of 8,600 carriers, each carrying a sack weighing 60 pounds, and the carriers, if they were spread apart by a yard, would form a line five miles long. The contrast between the debts is staggering. The point is that nothing men can do to us can in any way compare with what we have done against God. And if God has forgiven us the debt we owe to him, we must forgive our fellow men their debts. It's interesting. Look back at the verse in the first uh, servant, um, verse 26. He fell on his knees, have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. Now, remembering the size of the debt, 
What an arrogant claim that was, that this single servant could earn enough money to pay back 10,000 talents. And it says then he goes on to, he uh, falls before him, and then the Greek word is he bends the knee, which is a word often used for worship. So he goes to the king, falls, and he pretends to worship the king. But as we know from the story, he's not willing to be like the king, to be a forgiving person. How often do we come to worship God? Are we willing to try to change our lives so that we become more like God? And that first evil servant, wicked servant, he's willing to receive from the king an unbelievable amount of mercy, but he's not willing to share any of it. In the first instance, the king was going to not put him in prison because he realized he could never pay back the debt, but he was going to sell him and his family, and then everything would be done. He then goes out to his fellow servant, and it says the fellow servant also falls at his feet, but instead of forgiving him, he takes him by the neck to choke him and says, pay me my debt. The fellow servant says, have patience and I will pay you back. And that's a reasonable request because he could probably over his lifetime pay back that debt. But the evil servant who has accepted the mercy of the king refuses to bestow that mercy on someone who owes him a reasonable amount. At St. Francis, we like to think of ourselves as people for others, and I often ask the kids, why? Why should I be a people for others? Why not just be a people for me? Take care of myself. Take care of my hula hoop, as they say. Well, as a follower of Jesus, a believer in God, I am not at liberty just to take care of myself because I have received God's mercy. I must extend that mercy. I have received, I must share and give. We are people for others because of who God is, a people, a God for us who made us in his own image came amongst us to teach us and died on a cross for us. It's interesting that forgiveness, talk of sin and confession, has become unpalatable in the church. We have lost the sense of the seriousness of sin. And as a result, we have lost the sense of the magnitude of God's mercy and the wonder of his love. If we minimize sin we also minimize our sense of God's mercy and love. Did you know if you've been to a service of baptism or a wedding or ordinations, confession of sin is minimized. You can hardly notice it. Thank goodness we've retained it in our weekly worship, and we will say it. We will confess before God our sins. But it is not a focus on our sin or darkness. It is a focus on God and his mercy and the joy and light that comes from being with a God who takes care of those things. If you look at the passage in Romans, just glance over at Romans for a minute. Here is Paul is addressing a community of followers of Jesus. And what do we see them doing? Quarreling about opinions, passing judgment, uses that phrase three times despising one another in the community. It ties in very closely to the gospel, where Peter says, people in the community are sinning against me. What should I do? Can I get back at them? 
We're quarreling over opinions. And I often wonder what's the role of the church in our nation to be able to be able to bring people together even though they might have different opinions, see things differently, have other priorities. How can we yet bring people together in this country in a sense of unity? We must be an example. If we are the community of the forgiven, we must be of a forgiving nature. We can have good arguments. We can have difference of opinion, but we can treat each other with respect and ask them to tell us more about what they believe and why they believe it and how we can live together. That is the beauty of the communion table. We all, every one of us, gather around the table and the main thing is God's love for us and how he has forgiven us. The greatest story of forgiveness, I think, um, and I will end with this, uh, is the, the story of Louis Sapernini. Do you know that? The former Olympic stra uh, track star who went overseas to join in the Second World War. He survived a plane crash in the Pacific, spent 47 days drifting on a raft, then two and, more, two and a half years more in a prison camp where he was brutally treated. Have you seen the movie, Unbroken? Read the book. It's very interesting because the movie has all of this in graphic detail. And then the movie tells us about how he went back to America and was a hero, had a hero's welcome, had fame and fortune, married a beautiful wife. And then the movie says, just the last credits, and then he went back and he forgave his captors, completely leaving out the fact that when he got back to America with all his fame and fortune and beautiful wife, he was consumed with feelings of revenge. It, it, made, it uh, meant that he divorced his wife he became an alcoholic, commit, uh, was considering suicide. So consumed was he with vengeance on those who had mistreated him. So what the movie leaves out, the book says how going home one night, he passed a Billy Graham crusade and wandered in and heard the gospel message of a God who's forgiven us and all that we owe God and how we, God can help us to forgive others. And then... And then he went back to meet his captors and forgive them. But that is our world. We cannot do it on our own. We need God. But it's this kind of symbiotic relationship. We need God and his strength to forgive. But if we refuse to forgive others, then we, he cannot forgive us. And so when we come and worship and receive of the communion, then it is impingent upon us to go on to live that life of a community of those who are forgiven and what a difference it makes in our life. So may God give us grace to worship God so that we might become like God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.